Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. Episode 24, really excited to share the conversation that I had with Chris Eben. Chris is a managing partner at TWG, a software consultancy with holistic expertise in digital strategy, product design, and engineering. He is a mentor, speaker, and active investor with portfolio of more than 20 startups throughout the U.S. and Canada. During my time with him, we talk about the time he joined TWG when it was a small company with about 10 employees, his time out in the Valley, how he had an opportunity out in London, UK, and when he looks back at it, how it helped him grow as a leader. Lastly, his excitement of growing TWG past what they even imagined a number of years ago. But before getting started, I want to thank my media partners, IT World Canada, for their support of the podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Chris. Thanks for having me. Before I get started, why don't you take a minute just to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us who you are, what you'd like to do, and really I want to know what you do outside of business and business leadership. Sure. So I'm a managing partner and one of the owners here at TWG, the working group a company that's now in its 15th year, which is kind of crazy to uh, crazy to imagine. And I joined it six years ago as the kind of the fourth owner in the company and and we were 10 people when I joined. We've just uh, we've just grown the business to over 100 people. So it's been an exciting growth path since uh, since I got here. And uh, before I got here, I was doing a number of different things. I spent my whole my whole career in technology, and I guess we'll get into that, but the you know, the, the other things of note about me are I have three daughters, and that uh, dominates the non-business side of my life. I am a uh, avid sports fan, so I play basketball as much as I can. I watch basketball and soccer as much as I can, which is pretty rarely these days, unless my uh, unless my daughters are willing to, to do it with me. And... Uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty much just managing that balance between you know work, which is one baby, and uh, and family at home, and trying to be present and and totally involved in both those things all the time. Yeah, and I'll try to get into that as well. For me, I had my first daughter, first child, and uh, and I love watching basketball, which <laughs> seemed to she just turned one. I didn't get to watch a lot of basketball right. this this first year, and it's and I'm I'm losing hope but uh, I I may have to get tips from you in the future as well okay. on, on managing multiple daughters it yes. sounds let's start off with what you're doing today you mentioned the working group TWG so tell us a bit more about it what your current role is and maybe within your current role or within the organization what what's the goal and the mission now right well, as far as role is concerned, there, like I said, there's four owners, but there's there's two owners, myself and Andreas Aquino, uh, kind of co-run the business. And for the time being, that's that's the operating model. We don't use uh, CEO level titles. We're both managing partners, and we essentially split the business between 
you know, this is always changing to some extent, but, uh, you know, I run the, the, the outbound side of the business, the, the sales and marketing side of the business. Andreas runs more production and, uh, and we, we co-manage things like finance administration operations, those, those elements of the business. So it's a nice, a nice mix. Andreas and I work really well together and we're certainly deeply involved in, in each other's worlds as well. So it's not that I'm not aware of how production is working. And similarly, he's involved in sales and marketing. And we're evolving that organizational structure as we look you know, at 100 people today and you know, 200 people in the next few years. As we grow and as we, we work towards those types of aspirations and we're trying to build a scalable model to do that. Um, the business itself is is one where... You know, again, something that we're we're constantly working on and defining what is this business. It's you know, at its core, we build custom software for our clients, but it all comes down to well, who those clients are and what are those projects? What are we actually doing? Well, we have clients that are range from early stage startups to large enterprises across every different vertical. So we have a massive diversity of work that we're actually doing. Of course, we have a belief that software is you know one of the most powerful uh, change mechanisms in the world. You know, every business needs to, to incorporate software technology into, into how they operate, and we believe we're well positioned to help them do that. But we also believe that they need to, to for them to be successful, for them to, to achieve their own missions, that they need to be able to gain capability and capacity to do this themselves. So we're not just building software and technology for our clients, we're also teaching them how to do it themselves. And while that might seem kind of counterintuitive or counterproductive in some ways, our belief is if we're doing that to successful businesses and it's and it's actually impactful, then they they always have more than they could ever hope to to achieve themselves, and they'll keep coming to us. And in, in, in a perfect world where we're totally successful and they don't need us at all, then they're a great reference for us down the road, you know, with with someone else. So, you know, we we believe that every company, every organization in the world needs to have that capability, and we're going to help them do that. That's our mission, ultimately. I mean, it's pr- pretty fascinating in terms of I come from uh, the software background. I'm a computer engineer. Um, providing the software solutions, not only as a provider, but teaching, you're almost becoming like a extended CTO or technology company to them, uh, maybe a, a right arm to them as well. Yeah, is, is that something what it starts off with? But how about with the big enterprises as well? Is that? Co- yeah, I mean, certainly in the startup world, we've we've used not us but we've had others apply that tag of your kind of your your cto partner that comes in and helps you not just build software but build that process build that team and grow that that part of your business and we we have a number of examples great examples of doing that in the enterprise world i think it's it's kind of microcosms of that where we're doing that more at departmental levels or in divisions and business units um, and there's a lot more to use kind of popular taglines today around kind of digital transformation work where we don't just work with enter- any enterprise. We're working with enterprises that are coming to us because they want to change the way they bring products to market, the way they use software to optimize their businesses. And they don't just necessarily want us to build something. They also want us to teach them how we how they build that change their culture for development it, it might be the first time they're starting to build their own capacity to, to do that. So they want different examples of how to do that. We're, I think in that case, we're, we're starting to chip away at the world of the, you know, the big software technology consultancies like IBM, CGI, Accenture, those types of companies that 
aren't moving quickly in the same way that these enterprises need to now, given the disruption that's happening in their different verticals. And we're now also at a, at a size and scale where the risk to them and working with us is different. You know, when we were 20 people, it's just too risky. The, you know, the, the risk managers and their organizations wouldn't allow them to work with a, with a smaller firm. And now we're reaching that size where they can and they see results, you know, much more quickly than they, than they would otherwise by working with a company like us. That's pretty interesting to me. Um, now that enterprises has that trust, when did that happen, or when did you start feeling that, or or recognizing this? I mean, you mentioned you do a lot of the outbound, so you're you're the, you're the person in my eyes speaking to everyone. So when did that conversation change? Yeah, I think that's been a shift that I've really seen in the last four four or five years, substantially in the last two to three years, absolutely. Where you know a lot of our business was much more in the the startup and small business space where again just companies just didn't have that capacity that capability and and we're looking for experts what i've seen happen in the enterprise space is you know i think this comes from a lot of different forces from the types of people that are now you know kind of owning budgets and, and decision makers inside organizations being a you know from a new generation of sorts that are that are looking for different types of vendors and partners to work with uh, where C-level execs are also seeing the fact that you know they can't keep doing things the way they've been doing things and they need to change their business across the board, which includes who they work with, how they work. And typically that includes hiring up new teams that operate differently than they ha- ever have before and doing that alongside partners that are helping them along the way, whether it's helping them with the hiring and the, and the, the process development and the, and the way they develop products, or it's developing products for them and then incorporating new people that they bring onto their team onto those project teams and and, and knowledge sharing and, and process sharing along the way. So I think it's coming from a lot of a lot of places. And then lastly, I would say the the fact that as I mentioned, there's disruption happening, uh, you know, all over the place. And and finally and truly, startups actually are starting to make some of these large enterprises nervous. They can't just kind of rest on their laurels and and. Uh, and those enterprises will either hire away, you know, whether it's failed entrepreneurs or or uh, exciting employees in some of these early stage startups. And those ones, you know, they don't have networks inside IBM and Accenture. They have networks inside companies like ours and or they've worked here before or they've done a project here. And they say, well, you know, that's who you need to work with to, to change the way you're you're operating and change the types of products you're bringing to market. So I think it's. It's a it's a, a nice set of forces all coming together at the same time, and that's really happened over the last few years. So the working group they acquired B House last year. I, from what I understand, it was a move to bolster the mobile development. Uh, it was the first acquisition of TWG. So I, I'm really interested. How did how did that come together? And I guess really importantly, what were the challenges integrating the two teams together? Yeah, that came that came about very organically. It wasn't something we were specifically looking to do. It came through uh, our network. Uh, we're close with a company called Sensible. You've probably heard about in the in the Toronto market, and uh, had been advising them and 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 talking about doing some work together. And uh, Jamie Alexander, their CTO, actually introduced me to uh, the founding team at B House. And basically said you should acquire these guys, and uh, that started a conversation. You know, I could have took that with a grain of salt, but you know, as soon as I met uh, Satraj and Mega, the the uh, 
married couple who and also founding uh, founding team members of, of Bee House, you know, there was there was an immediate alignment on you know kind of their their approach and their belief in what they're doing and uh, and their 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 care for the craft and you know we had a we had a, a strong mobile business already at that point but we felt that that we needed to continually kind of push the envelope there and, and bring in talent and capability that would would uh, would prop up our entire team and in that that competency for TWG and so that conversation evolved into one where you know we both felt we could achieve a lot more working together than we could independently it wasn't such that we were competing with one another we were, you know, very different size companies and so we, you know, it took about eight months of just getting to know each other, and you know, maybe that's a conservative approach, but it felt like one where we were, we really honored the fact that we needed to get to know each other and make sure that there was complete alignment. And then when we structured a deal, that it was again completely aligned with both their objectives and our objectives. And it's been great. There's, you know, I'd have to say from an integration perspective, there's been no trouble at all. In fact, you know, we brought in some different personalities and different different approaches that have really again being something that our team has gained from that experience and i think they've gained from the experience of of some of the structure that we have in place and the scale of of opportunity that that we've got and then an interesting side benefit to all of this and one that we knew that was there from the beginning but we weren't sure how how important it might be was the the fact that they had a uh, a team of two in india as well that that they had tapped into, you know, given their roots and their own networks and, and, and their ability to kind of tap into a different part of the Indian development culture, which we had previously looked at a number of years ago and found that, you know, we didn't have enough network or understanding of how things worked there and we weren't, we weren't finding the right fit. So we, we kind of walked away from it and this allowed us to come back to it and, uh, and now has given us that kind of confidence to, to go further and, and invest more in that market, not because we're looking for a cheaper offshore development uh, development team, but more so because, you know, this is a talent game. And, and if you limit your talent to the your kind of local community, then, then you might be in trouble because we're competing with some great companies here locally. Thankfully, we've done well in that regard, but we need to expand that and look in other places. And in India has a, you know, a lot of the same features that, that Toronto actually has great, a great education system that is pouring, you know, well-trained engineers into, into the market. And, uh, and now thankfully with, with the kind of prolification of the, of the, the startup world globally, not everybody from in that market is looking to work just for the kind of Tata and Whip Pros of the world and in large scale consultancies, but is also looking at kind of exciting new startup opportunities. Not that we're a startup, but we offer a lot of that opportunity from a work perspective. So, again, it was kind of perfect timing to start building a team there now, and and uh, and B House gave us the confidence to do that. When I looked at your career, it looks like you started at Longview Solutions and. It seemed like there were similarities what's happening now and what you did in the past where the company was growing and you took the opportunity to expand new operations. So tell me some of the challenges that you went through at the time, facing new locations, and what did you bring back to your current role now and maybe if there's any similarities as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be uh, aging myself here by, by <laughs> talking about kind of when I started my career, but I started Longview in... Uh, in the late 90s, 
at the very beginning of my career with you know, really no awareness of what was going on. You know, it's only in hindsight that you can kind of look back and realize how impactful and important that phase was. You know, the latter stages of the first internet boom and all these crazy new businesses being created with no business model or, or totally flawed business models. Longview actually had a very sound business model selling kind of enterprise-grade software in the uh, kind of analytics and comp- corporate performance management space. And, and while it was a startup, and I was, I think I was in the first 45 employees, it was a venture-backed startup. It had large Fortune 500 companies as customers and, and, and operated you know, very responsibly and, and very well. But I got great opportunities there because I, I was fairly quickly in my career there given the opportunity to, to move to San Francisco and act as the product manager for a joint venture that we were doing with a, uh, with a large venture-backed startup in, uh, in Mountain View called Aristosoft. And, you know, without going into all the details of what that was, I got, you know, amazing experience around what product management actually is, what was, you know, the energy and the, and the, the culture of Silicon Valley at the time. And again, I, I, I think I recognize these things more in hindsight than I did at the time. I was just kind of doing my job and doing the best I could at that time, but I was clearly learning a lot. And, and, you know, when the, when the bubble burst there, that joint venture, you know, ultimately burst along alongside that Longview was fine. The, the, the company Aristosoft that we were doing business with went under, um, like so many other companies out there. And I, I kind of quickly moved from that opportunity into one where we were opening our European operations in London. So they asked me if I was, if I was interested in moving to London to help with that. So absolutely. You know, great to do things when you're young and, and can take all these, these opportunities. And again, this was another totally different opportunity, much more closely aligned with our core business, but doing it in a new, in a new geography, hiring a team, finding your first kind of critical customers to grow that business effectively there. And, and I was involved in all of those things from hiring to team building, to, to client acquisition, to making those clients successful. And, and all of that was, you know, extremely impactful in my career. And I kind of look at those two opportunities as, as, you know, perhaps the, the best way to look at ways that I, that I gained exposure to being an entrepreneur. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a founding level entrepreneur with founder level equity, but I was getting all the same experiences that a, that a founder gets by basically creating a new business or creating a new office from, from scratch. And those are things that I, I consciously or subconsciously call on, on a regular basis when I'm, when I'm building this business. And, uh, yeah, so I mean, I think my career, without a lot of planning, ended up being one that was kind of the perfect set of building blocks to to where I am today. And I'm fairly certain I wouldn't be here if I hadn't kind of gone through that path. So yeah, really impactful. Moving from enterprise solutions to TWG, which was, I guess, at the time, really focused on startup solutions, software software solutions. Can you pinpoint a specific experience that helped you grow as the leader you are today? Uh, yeah, I can. So when I joined, it was certainly with this intention that, uh, you know, we it only made sense if we were going to now grow this business in a more meaningful way. Certainly didn't, didn't imagine where we are today, but, you know, we imagined growing it to 30-ish people or so. And, you know, we thought... Well, we couldn't imagine what culture would be like at the business, at the company, if we if we went beyond that. And 
the the first I ended up jumping right into to kind of sales and marketing because I saw a gap in in process and capability in that regard. It wasn't it wasn't a situation where TWG wasn't successful and and, and wasn't able to find new work, but it was one where it was very. It was very ad hoc how that was happening. So it was lacking process. And while I didn't have a background in, in sales or marketing, I actually had a background in more product management. Um, I realized I'd been exposed to kind of strong sales cultures as well. My previous company, Actuate, which is now an open text company, I ran product management and and was very close to the sales side of the organization. It was a very sales-driven company and I had a lot of process. So I jumped into that. And fairly quickly, you know, by putting some structure there and starting to you know, kind of build positive pipeline for the business, then you get into a position where you can start to think about, well, what kind of business do we want to go after rather than just having it fall on your lap? And in order to grow, we thought, well, we've got this portfolio of great companies where we've built great product, but they're, they're all unrecognizable. If I'm look if I'm showing this portfolio to someone, I have to explain what every company is. So to me, that, that moment that that really changed that was us agreeing that we needed to we needed to put a recognizable brand on our portfolio and that that was going to start you know leading to more and more similar types of work and and that was an important key rightly or wrongly you know other companies that come to you for work want to see that kind of legitimacy that that comes from you having done work for companies that they know so we landed uh, we landed TIFF the International Toronto International Film Festival which interestingly you know, that goes back, you know, five years at least now. And that was work that we did through a, through another agency. So it was kind of fairly disconnected from TIFF. And now, <laughs> you know, five years later, we're actually TIFF's official, official digital partner. And we're building out their, their website and their, and their mobile apps as we speak. That's a side note, but yeah, that was a, that was an important decision and something that we absolutely went after. And it was impactful because that led to work with CBC and then, uh, Sobeys and the Globe and Mail and, you know, starting to get bigger, recognizable brands, Rogers, Telus, companies like this. And then the next step from that, from there was saying, okay, well, if we want to be an international company, which we do, and we're starting to, we're starting to work in that regard, well, then these amazing Canadian brands that we're working with need to, need to be recognizable to, to others, particularly in the U.S. I, I wanted to stop saying things like, TSN is the ESPN of, uh, of Canada or Rogers is the AT&T of Canada. So, you know, the next step was let's get that big international recognizable brand. And, and, you know, we're still working at that, but we've got a number of those on the, on the portfolio as well. So pretty exciting. Um, I read that TWG is committed to diversity recently partnered with tech girls, Canada to increase the ratio of female staff. So I'm not sure, but I believe it was around 30% at the time. So why, why is this important to you and to the organization? Yeah, it was something that now it's probably about three years ago where we would have been probably in there, you know, 25 to 35 people. And, you know, it's one of those things that I, that I guess I, I wouldn't say I have regret, but it's, it's frustration that it's only in hindsight that you suddenly look around and say, well, wait a second, we're not really building the, the diverse group of people here that are both representative of how we feel as individuals, how we want to represent ourselves, how we want to make ourselves available to, to new people that join the team. And then also, you know, very, very much tied to the work that we do. You know, we build software for 
a huge diverse group of different users and and we need a team that represents those users as much as possible so it was a it was a bit of a feeling of of paralysis we're like well you know what are we doing wrong here we're not trying to hire more men than than women and and but we also you know we're doing this all for the first time so we somewhat serendipitously partnered with with Tech Girls Canada uh, where Sadia, who runs the organization, happened to be in our building and met with uh, met with someone on our team, and we kind of connected those dots and said, "Well, can you help us? You know, we want to change this." And so we entered into a kind of an, a formal arrangement with with Tech Girls Canada to to take us through a process that you know we focused specifically because you you kind of need to put a, a, a stake in the sand and, and pick something you can't try and solve all these problems at once for you know diversity means a lot of different things so we said well let's let's change the the ratio of, of male to female uh, employees on the team and we i think we started that at a at a embarrassing number of 18% and and through that process we moved that number to 30% but i think which to be honest, I'm not. It's not something I'm, I'm. I'm not proud of the number. I'm proud of the process for doing it, the commitment to continue doing it. But really, what was important was that we we found fundamental ways to change our hiring practice, kind of all the way through from the language that we use in, in job postings to the to the selection process for filtering through things, trying to remove bias, kind of every step of the way. And and again, honestly speaking, it's it's usually subconscious bias. I mean, I don't think we ever had a team that consciously had bias towards men or women, black or white, whatever that might be. But there's, you know, all of these systemic issues in society are 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 more so subconscious things that we've all grown up or grown up with. And this process helped us to remove a lot of that from from how we did things and and had you know fairly immediate Im- impact in doing that but more importantly than that is that it just started that that process for us so we're we're you know recommitting to our phase 2 around this we also when we did that it was very important for us to kind of open source that to the community realizing that you know big large enterprises spend a lot of time and money on this stuff because they need to as public, you know, or, or publicly traded institutions or whatever they might be. But that's not stuff that smaller mid, you know, small and mid-sized businesses can take on. So we wanted to share this certainly with the tech community, if not beyond to say, here, here's a guide. So we produced that, we published it, put a website together. That's, I think, being really, really useful and and inspiring to see how the rest of the community has grabbed onto that as well. And we're just, we're just starting. So we've got a lot more to do in that way. I'm really interested to know, and we, we mentioned it before, you're, you've grown past a hundred and obviously maintaining a culture as you scale to 200 just in, becomes increasingly more difficult. How do you foresee yourself maintaining this culture that you have today when you double in size or triple in size or wherever you think it may go at this point? Yeah, it's a it's a question we kind of ask and focus on every day, and I think that's maybe step one is the fact that we talk about it, and it's such a high priority in the things that we care about. It's 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 less clear. There's no there's no there's no blueprint for how to do it, but just by thinking about it and prioritizing it, I think that's step one. I mean, when Ken, I, I, I mentioned when I joined, we couldn't imagine growing the company past thirty people, and that was largely due to the culture that. You know, how would we maintain culture? How would we know everybody on the team? And as we we grew to thirty and 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 beyond, 
it only felt that culture was getting stronger in in our minds. And I think that again, came from that, that commitment and good intention around that. I mean, we don't run this business to make money solely to solely make money. Obviously that's, you know, that's an important piece of it, but as owners, we could have operated this business quite differently. And, and we operate this business to create a different kind of company to, you know, feel inspired and, and enjoy for coming into work and creating that kind of place for others to come into. I know myself personally, when I joined, that was a, a big piece of the alignment I felt with the other owners was that, you know, while I'd had great work experiences, I'd worked very much in this enterprisey kind of world. And, and I always felt that there had to be, you know, both myself and other people around me, there's kind of two versions of yourself. There's the version that went to work and then there's the version that at home or with friends. And, I, I was frustrated by that because I just felt like I needed to bring those things together because, you know, the closer you can be to yourself, the you know, the happier you're going to be at work where you spend a lot of your time. And and so having attitudes like that and, and certainly my partners and the other leaders of the company had their own versions of those feelings and stories and, and have always just prioritized and committed to those things. So I don't think it's you know, I worry about it when I think of going from 100 to 200 because things do change. You have to implement more process. You need more structure to do that. But I also feel confident that everyone from myself and the rest of the leadership team to literally down to every level of the organization truly believes in the importance of that culture. In fact, probably as the most important piece, both as it, as it relates to who else we bring on the team, what the team looks like, but also our clients. Our clients buy us for our culture, for who we are, not for the lines of code and the pixels that we create for them, but actually for that, that, that feeling of collaboration and, and, and sharing and, and, and knowledge that happens on, on, on the teams and on the projects. Want to switch gears. I know previous to us meeting today, you mentioned that you read Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, I just want to know if you could share with us one or two things that you took away from it and from that book and how can how you're thinking it can improve your business style your business leadership or something that you can implement yeah it puts me on the spot because i have to remember the the details of the the book i read um and i i actually listened to that as an audio book which is a which is a more challenging uh, way to to take it in but kind of more practical given my my day-to-day reality i would say the the things I took away from that are are really around the importance of your of people and relationships and, and kind of what you bring to those, the the kind of the the honor, the honesty that you bring to those relationships. And you know, there's a lot of storytelling in that book around, you know, companies that are on the verge of failure and and, and come out of that and and the hard decisions that need to be made along the way. But the 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 impact and importance of staying true to yourself and being honest and, and, and bringing those kind of characteristics to leadership and, and how, you know, that kind of wins the day in the end, um, including those that you have to let down in those ways of, you know, whether it's layoffs or, or other ways, if you do that honorably and, and, uh, and you stay true to yourself doing that, then I think even those people respect you after the fact and those relationships are maintained and, and, and they carry forward in, in other ways. So I, that's probably my biggest takeaway from that book. Um, you know, no surprise. I think the way that I op- operate is that everything is, is down to 
relationships and communication and and honesty and openness and those were all the things I maybe in a self-serving way it's the things that I take away from that book and perhaps others but that, that's that's really what I remember most oh perfect thanks for sharing so I mean sort of related but also a fun question that I like to ask on on the podcast if I were to ask any of your team what's the best leadership quality you possess what do you think they would say I think I've I've two challenges around this now. One is at, at the current size, I don't always get the opportunity to, to show this and share this, but I think for those that I do, and I do my best to, to, to do it across the, across the entire team, it is that kind of genuine, honest, approachable nature. You know, I don't like hierarchies. I understand the need for them and, you know, the, the structure that needs to be there, but I don't look at myself as superior in any way that to the to the people that I work with so I want that relationship to be a kind of a, a two-way relationship and one that is open you know make yourself vulnerable to to those around you and on all sorts of different levels and being a leader does not mean does not mean having all the answers it means being willing to work your best to to kind of find solutions to the to the problems in front of you and to and to build confidence in that regard and so I approach leadership with, you know, with modesty and, and, and an openness to hearing, hearing the ideas of, of all those people that I'm working with. So I think that's what I try to impart. And I think, I think that's what people see in me as well. Perfect. Um, so what's next, Chris, what, for you, where do you see yourself going or building or growing uh, with the company or personally? Certainly with the company, I feel like we've just like we're just hitting our stride now. Um, we're really building things in such a way that we have scale in mind. How do you go from 100 to 200 people? How do you go from 200 to 1,000 people? You know, putting structures in place to do that, finding the right type of work to do that, training our team, giving them opportunities. I think that's a key thing. A lot of people have asked over the years, well, what's the reason for growth? You know, you're just growing to make more money. You know, that doesn't always go hand in hand. It's actually, you know, we want to have impact in the work that we do and we want to create this amazing place to work for our employees and for our clients to come to. And if we want that to continue, then our employees need to have interesting opportunities in front of them as well. That means their careers need to grow, which means, frankly, you need more people and more and more complexity to the organization for them to have those opportunities. If you ran a 30-person operation forever, then, you know, a good portion of those people would would ultimately get bored and, and move on where they could have some kind of up, upward trajectory in what they're doing. So that's a big reason for that. And I think that's what we're that's what we're continuing to do. So it's in some ways it's boring. It's kind of more of the same, but it's also the most exciting part of the the job from my perspective. So in outside of work, you know, it's 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 even more boring than that. I think it's it's you know kind of being there for my family, finding that balance in my life. You know, I, I'm very I'm very energized by work. Sometimes I have to catch myself wanting to work too much, but I'm also energized by my by my family and and want to be around them and certainly want to be a, a father that my that is very involved, deeply involved in my kids' lives. And I, I I want to keep doing that. I want to kind of 
age gracefully into that into that place where I'm satisfied and the people around me are satisfied and I'm kind of creating a, a great environment all around for for those that I care about in my life. Oh, no, that's perfect. I like that. And it sounds like you're, you know exactly where you're going and you, you have a plan in place as well. But uh, having a blast, Chris, it's been great. I learned so much and I'm sure we shared a lot of, of facts. But before we end, I'd love for you to perhaps share some final thoughts, uh, maybe some actionable recommendations that you could share with any future leaders, business leaders, technology leaders who are looking to grow their career. Yeah, I think uh, I think going back to something I mentioned earlier, where you know, try to try to have a little bit more awareness of of the things that you're learning in the moment, so that you can apply them more kind of proactively into your career. Like I said, I, I had these great experiences, particularly moving to the valley and moving to London, and and the work experiences that went with those. But I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. I was just kind of you know going to have a fun experience, a learning experience. And I think if I had realized what that might've been, and maybe that's hard to do, um, I might've been able to, to apply them kind of more proactively and, and, and more time efficiently in my, in my career. I don't have regrets about it, but I, I think again, just being self-aware is a, is a key aspect. I, and I, I've certainly become a lot more self-aware as I've gotten older and not sure how self-aware I was at that time. So I don't I don't believe in having strong plans. I think you need to let let life happen as well and but self-awareness is is absolutely key and and even when I look at building a business of any type, you know, look understanding your own flaws, what you need to learn, being modest and and, and open to what other people have to say regardless of their their age, their experience, their position, any of those things, that's that's all part of that kind of world of self-awareness and and uh and, and openness. And I think that's something that people forget about or, or don't focus on because it takes time and it's hard to do sometimes. And, but something that everybody should value and, and spend time on. Appreciate that. But to close, Chris, please tell us where we could find more information about you, the working group or anything that you uh, have up your sleeve. Sure. I mean, I think I'm on all the on all the regular places, TWG.io for, for, for anything about TWG. You know, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Eben on Facebook, on Twitter, not much on Instagram these days. Um, and I'd like to think that uh, you can find most of the good stuff about me via TWG. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it, folks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. Really enjoyed sitting down with Chris. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to technology, product management, marketing, and now even leadership. And listening to him talk about being more self-aware about the things that you are currently working on and how it could affect what you're doing today and in the future. It's a topic that comes up quite a bit on the podcast about self-awareness and understanding your strengths and weaknesses. If you're interested in learning more about Chris, TWG, or any other organizations that he is part of, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 024. I would love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out directly via email to edwin at thebusinessleadership.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to the podcast. 
Thank you again. Until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.